Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We're all feeling a little bit locked in, but the NFL Scotland podcast is back to hopefully fill an hour of your time. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Free agency is pretty much wrapped up for 2020. But before we move on to focus on the draft, we're going to have one last look back at how things have panned out. To do that, we're continuing our current hot guest form as we're excited to be joined by one of the biggest names in the NFL podcast game. Indeed we are. We're delighted to be joined by a hero from the Around the NFL podcast team. We're delighted to welcome to the NFL Scotland podcast, Mark Sessler. Thank you for joining us, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. It's uh, you know, it it's been a weird couple of weeks, but I kind of find it comforting to chat with uh, you know, football people from all over the place. And this is um, this is nice to be talking with you guys uh, outside of the states. Hope you're well. Yeah, absolutely. And how are you surviving the lockdown? Oh, I think things you know so far um, compared to what I thought it would be. If someone said you were going to be um, at home doors locked with a uh, wife and two small children uh, for the next 20-something days. I think this is the end. It's been a good run. <laughs> We've done the best we can, but let's acknowledge our um, group weaknesses and realize this probably is just not going to work. But our kids have been um, pretty much, I'd call them troopers during this. They also have a lot of, you know, we, we're in that group where um, the, the school they go to has sent home daily assignments that, uh, you know, my wife and I have to kind of split forces and each take one child and work with them for hours every day and uh, just to keep them up to date, but with no idea if they're going to go on to another grade next year or stay in the same grade. There's a lot of like hazy, unanswered questions, obviously. So we're doing the best we can. It adds a little bit of structure to the weekdays, but then I think anyone uh, working with kids at this point realizes like they just it the later the day goes on it sort of meshes into immense amounts of um screen time and snack food i typically wouldn't be feeding my children and so it's there is a chaotic element as the day goes along it's like let's just get to beers can we just get to some beers some evening <laughs> uh drinks please to settle this and, it, and, and it's also been like to be positive about it like some of the better family time that we've had, which I think when you cover football or you cover sports where you're out of the loop on the weekends a lot, um, was needed. So, you know, not all bad. It's just got its innate ups and downs. Yeah. All rules are off though at the moment. Definitely. What, what about the podcast (laughs) though? You know, you guys are obviously so focused in on getting together, sitting face to face. It's a new challenge for the around the NFL podcast. You know, you, you've taken it out of the studio and you've gone, Uh, all over the world with it, to be honest. But how are you guys coping with doing it all away from each other? I think, like, the the thing about it that that is really kind of a happy accident is that we're stuck here. You can't socialize. You know, there are these, like, happy hours going on with friends at night, and, and, you know, and then there's that nice side of it. But it's been this sort of uh, Monday through Friday daily um, choice to get online and talk together and, you know, just even though it's not the same because you're all you're all on four or five different screens, I, I give huge props to Erica Tamposi, our producer, because I'd say that the four of us um, have different levels of tech ability. And she jumped in and just said, like, let's get these mics. Let's get on this one service. Let's work on this. Let's plug into Ethernet and make it look and sound the best we can. And that helped a lot. I think that made a, that 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 was something that happened in quick, short order because of her. And so it's been um, the quality has been pretty good in terms of which I think when that's not the case and pe- the first couple of days, people were kind of blipping in and out um, Wi-Fi wise. I thought, I just don't know how 
this is going to go. Uh, but it's been really fun to talk for, you know, shorter episodes. We try to keep them about 30, 35 minutes um, each day. And there's been enough to talk about. And when there's not a lot to talk about, we don't, We I think we our thing is let's not fake it. Let's um, talk about what's going on outside of football too. And so, you know, for people that are able to keep up with the increased episode count, um, I hope they've liked it. Uh, we've liked doing it and it's really not, it's so much easier, honestly, to just kind of log in from home and versus having to go in and do the studio thing. So my question is just like, it, 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 it creates for all of us doing this so much more flexibility that it, I wonder if it changes the way some things are done um, in sports broadcasting overall, because we're, we're realizing we don't all have to be clumped into the same room and newsroom all the time. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mark. It's a positive to come out the back of it. Quick question then before Paul jumps in there. Who's the Luddite in the Around the NFL podcast team then? Well, that's... Uh... <laughs> Seeing as we've just got you and not the other one, so this is your opportunity to take a cheap uh, shot. You know, I don't think... Like, if if we're talking about someone who's, like, anti-technology, um, I don't think that there's... I think there are people that just are not naturally curious about technology, and when it's suddenly it's like, hey, where do we buy, like, a... a a microphone that you know cool people on youtube are like doing their videos with it's like i have no idea and so i don't know if i think we would have found out um had we gone in another week or two that some of the group would have been more opposed to uh you know upping the technology front but erica kind of whipped that you know whipped us into shape so we weren't able to uncover any real luddites um <laughs> but uh you know i don't <laughs> everyone's played by the rules so for me to call someone out would be inconsistent at this point so that means it's you mark isn't it i mean i i actually honestly you know the company to keep this thing going offered to pay for a microphone and in a lower level type of light and i thought this is great i mean i can use this um in other ways down the road so again i'm trying to look for the benefits here i got some some nice uh, equipment to go along with the rest of the business Mark, what I think is working on the podcast is the fact that the four of you are obviously good friends. My big concern with podcasts when you're remote is people tend to talk over each other and trample over each other. But there seems you've managed to keep that sort of natural flow of conversation. Is that something you've noticed? Well, yeah. The one thing that I think is funny is that there are, because, you know, Eric is able to take uh, the sound and the video that we produce and edit it together. And, sh- and it, some of them early on took a lot of work that no one will ever see because there were occasions, especially when the Wi-Fi was kind of delayed or a little jumpy, where we were all um, jumping on top of each other. Or when we'd get nervous about that happening, you know, Dan would throw out a question uh, to, to the whole group and we'd all sit there in like a painful three or four seconds of silence, which we've, you know, we've eliminated some of those. But Again, it's like once now that the connectivity has been a little bit better, we're able to see each other and just kind of like that's a, you're right that that's a huge difference um, because when we're able to I, I think you know if you have if you're doing all audio and we're speaking by audio now and it seems to be going quite well, but if you have way too many people and we're and our group is a big group and if we bring a guest on, you're sometimes dealing Eric is there too that'd be five six people. Um, trying to figure out when to speak. So it is it is important, like being in a studio, to see each other's eyes. And ch- you can kind of tell, like, oh, Wes is about to say something here, or I think Greg is, um, or I think it's my turn. And you just do the best at it. And I think we just try to, like, it's th- through reps, gotten a little bit better with the format versus, um, which we had never done. It just takes, it, it honestly, I think it took a couple weeks to feel kind of comfortable with it. But now it's just like, 
let's just do the best show we can. And it's not going to be super glossy. And I think most people um, taking it in get that. And that's kind of not a bad thing. That's just where we are right now. And you're having to be a bit more creative as well because you are producing, you know, five shows. Uh, I did like tweet or text. I thought that was really good. And I think it also shows that y- you don't take yourselves too seriously. And, I'm, and I mean that in a good way, um, that you're prepared to have a little bit of fun as well. Uh, text or tweet, was that you? Was that Erica? Who, who, was, the, who was the brainchild? Well, so we each were going to take a show. And then we had um, we were lucky enough to have Neil Reynolds on in the middle of the week. So we thought, you know, we're going to bog – we're going to turn an episode into a really long, overly long episode if we try to do a segment on top of that. So we were like, let's just have Neil be uh, the entire show, and he was great on our show. And it was we were trying to keep them around 30 minutes. So I initially had an idea for like a truth or dare um, and I was like, well, I don't really know how you get a dare done in our situation. So I kind of flipped it to what could be this or that where both could be dangerous depending on what you pick. And, te- and for us, you know, we're operating on, on Twitter and we have these big text threads going with various people that I thought either you're going to have to go out and um, someone else has written and authored devastating text for you to put out there or, 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 or a tweet. And, and neither one would be a safer road. And so I had Erica pull a couple of them and she does what she does she did a great job with it so it was cool to team up on it it was kind of the right thing we thought for a friday there's not a lot of news let's let's create a little chaos that you know delves into saturday and sunday and i think dan got the brunt of it because you know in an undan like move he had this sort of um come to jesus moment where he was just like i'm realizing like the world's changing and i just want to open up my dms and just chat with anyone about anything and it's like suddenly within like 20 minutes, he had like 150 people writing about all sorts of stuff, and he spent most of the weekend responding to people, so I give him credit for that. It's not probably what he was hoping to do on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, it's brilliant stuff. I mean, I, I'd like you to cover at some point, if you do get time, which uh, general manager or head coach do you think is the spookiest basement from which they're going to do the draft from? Uh, you know, who, who's got the bear in the corner or something like that. When we do our NFL Scotland podcast, Mark, we do three awards during the season. Uh, we all speak one language, but I want to test you to see if you know what these awards would be. So the first award we, we do is the Belter Award. What what would that suggest to you? Belter, as in, is that a like B E L T E R? It is, yes. Belter. I mean, it makes me think of wrestling. Like someone's uh, won the belt of some sort, and they've they've done something well. It also sounds like maybe someone's whipping someone with a belt. So there's a there you could, you could go in a lot of directions with that one. That's interesting. Belter in, in Scottish parlance is is great. Somebody's done something great. Uh, our second one, and I'll spell this for you as well, is our Bowfin Award, which is B O W F I N Bowfin. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely sounds like it, it, not a word that's floating around uh, West Los Angeles um, very Yet. often. Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Uh, I so, feel like so, it sounds like you like you you took out a bird flying through the air with a weapon. Well, it, but Bowfin in Scottish terms is bad. You've done something really, really bad. You okay. perform. I'm getting perform. too specific here. <laughs> no, no, no. It's great. Okay. It's interesting because it, it's the old one language, different thing. This one you might get now. Our Bobag Award. B W B A G. Bobag. Mm, that sounds. 
derogatory uh, to spot, me. Spot on. We, to, to give you a hint, we normally called it this season the Antonio Brown Ball Bag Award, um, simply because Antonio Brown almost won it every week for being a complete clown. Um, so, that, so that's the three awards. There you go, Cameron. We speak the same language, but it can mean different things. Yeah, I like just... that exercise. <laughs> that so, do you know what? We we get this all the time. Whenever the NFL bring players over to London, they usually get them, sit them down and ask them particular questions. But there's never been a Scottish slant on it. So you've you've tested the water there for us, Mark. Uh, and it's gone down exactly how we did anticipated to do so. Um, yeah, the, the awards are something that we try and do. You know, obviously the podcast is very much trying to do things NFL, but from a Scottish slant. So um, it's proved popular i think through the year and a lot of people have interacted with it so um yeah that's that's another task for you though get the word uh, get the words boffin and ball bag uh, rotating around la um, i'm on it starting today i'm going to start to drop that wherever i can that's absolutely boffin is exactly what you say to someone when you disagree um so before we move on, we're going to talk a little bit about free agency because we're going to use this as our sort of last look back at free agency before we start turning to the draft in the upcoming weeks. But the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have just released uh, details of what their new uniforms look like. So, Mark, as our guest, I'm going to come to you first of all. What's your initial thoughts on them? So, you, initially, I just saw the photo and I'm taking a look at the video that they put out. And I will say this. I think they... Um, I'm not blown away by any sort of great sea change here. They look very similar to the ones previous, but I do think they cleaned up some of the offensive nature of the other ones, uh, although they didn't go the full distance in my book. I, I, I've had an issue with the Bucks in general, um, it, you know, and, I've, and Chris Wesley and I have, have been of like mind on our, on our podcast about this, that when they play these early um, Sunday games in the blinding Tampa sun, um, with their previous uniforms, I just found it it, it, t- it tough on the eyes, and it's just aesthetics. I'm not, you know, if 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 Bucks fans like them, cool. Uh, what I'm seeing here is a little bit more. I think they they're a little more in a good way, a little more basic. Um, very clear three color palette, and the helmet, uh, which I was not a fan of, has barely changed, other than it appears. And I'm just guessing here from what I see. The logo looks almost bigger, which is not the direction I would have gone and uh, <laughs> gone in there. Um, but you know, it's. I think there would have been a lot of people that would not have been a fan had they gone back to those classic um, '80s uniforms either, with the with the you know the orange and the white. Like I just think that would have had some some people upset too. So I don't know. I assume they put these out with a test group, and people were positive about it. Um, I would like to see. I like to see something. Uh, a little bit more striking, a little bit more striking of a change. Yeah, it does feel very safe. Uh, when you look at the three kits lined up, I don't know, there's something about me, it just is like, eh, you could almost just replace that with the Falcons, and you've got almost exactly the same trio of uniforms. Yeah, it's very Falcons, like from a distance, and like, yeah, color scheme and everything, it's very, it, very, it is very much that. I like the white ones, the white on white look nice. Yeah, really clean, and, and, and the same with the Falcons, I think the Falcon one's nice. Bring up the point, because we talked about this a lot in the podcast. Both Paul and I are red-green colorblind. And as both guys that have worked in sports broadcasting, that can prove challenging when you're commentating on um, players wearing kits of certain colors. We have surmised for a long time, and we've got nothing to back this up other than a hunch. But, you know, we heard about Jameis Winston getting his eyes lasered because he he was short-sighted and his vision was impaired slightly. We have a hypothesis, and we've talked about this at great length, that we think that Jameis is red-green colorblind. 
Um, if you look at his interception percentages and his interception numbers in games where there was a team wearing red, it was always higher in a, than a game when there wasn't a team in red. So this is something that it's been a hot topic for us. But again, Mark, we're going to set you the challenge. Can you help us try and find out if Jameis Winston is colorblind? I'll inquire. I think that's an an incredible theory. And it, it would be very, very Tampa Bay-esque because when they were trying to get out of their um, decades-long funk and they drafted Vinny Testaverde way back in the day, you know, they discovered that he was colorblind. Um, and he he came in and threw an insane amount of interceptions um, early in his career there before, I think, moving on to be one of the more productive veteran guys around who a lot of guys like Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick loved his athleticism. But that's kind of like Winston. I mean, I could see a lot of coaches liking him except for are you going to go out and throw five interceptions? Maybe if you get him in a totally different type of uniform, uh, we and he's got the LASIK stuff done. You know that that's a factor. I think your your hunch or your theory is um, compelling to say the least. <laughs> Paul, what's your thoughts? I, I do. Uh, well, Cameron, what they've done is uh, the Tampa Bay box have tweeted with the tagline "New but familiar." I mean that that I'd I'd love to see the company who pitched that tagline to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, new but familiar. It doesn't really strike me as going to the heart of the matter. I it's think not like, exactly like Nike, just do it. It's um, <laughs> it's maybe a step off of that. Yeah it, it, yeah, it doesn't quite work in the same way. I think they're cleaner, I think they're better, but yeah, I, th- I think they could have done a little bit, little bit more work on them, but they're certainly better than the digital clock numbers, so we're, we're happy, yes. happy and move on with that. Now, more importantly, of course, Tom Brady is going to be wearing it. I wonder if he had any say in this or it was all done and dusted. Has that been, was that a surprise in free agency for you, Mark, that he moved or was it always going to happen? You know, I I didn't have like a huge hunch either way, but the energy around Brady and the Patriots were very little, you know, no talks were happening, and there was this sort of chilly silence. To me, that kind of suggested that both sides, not even just one, but both sides might be open to a, to a change. And I, I always thought that Robert Kraft would rather have Tom Brady until the bitter end. Uh, I just think the relationship... Um, seem to suggest that and that maybe Belichick, who is obviously, you know, his entire career has shown that he would rather move on from an aging player than than hang on too long. And I will, you know, we'll know at some point down the road how this all played out. Uh, I think Tom Brady was also equally ready to be revived by a new challenge. So I kind of I don't really pick a huge winner or loser in that. I mean, the Patriots don't have Tom Brady, and that's going to be a lot to deal with. But there are certainly a pocket of Patriots fans uh, that I've talked to that have kind of been around for a long time that feel like this is exciting and new. It could, it could also be a 6-10 and 10 season, which won't be as exciting um, when you're in the middle of that and the Patriots are getting thumped and you know Jared Stidham is, is just a Joe. Um, you know, th- that's the other side of it. But I wasn't blown. I wasn't totally shocked by the fact that, like, Tom Brady moved on to another team. Tampa was not the first team I would have thought of out of the gate, but I think again it's the contrast to where he just was. Like Bruce Arians makes for a nice contrast, and it is one of the more win now rosters around, which was very, which I thought kept him from going to say the Raiders. I just never really buy the idea of him going to Las Vegas and playing with a roster with some limitations that uh, just needs a couple more years to build. Where Tampa feels like. With that offense, it's a good match for Brady. Um, 
if he still has elements of the deep ball, which Arian says he does, I'm not totally sold that the he, that he's got his full arsenal of throws at this point. We we talked about this on one of our earlier podcasts as well, and I'm not sure of the Brady move at all. And I've I've put a, one of our we do burger bets. Uh, I've put a burger on Brady not having a winning season this year. How difficult do you think it will be for a man of his age who's always played with the same head coach under a very similar scheme to go and do something completely different and play the game he's always played in a completely different way? I don't doubt his ability to learn quickly, even in a weird offseason, and to engage teammates. I just I I don't. I just think that he's shown that he could play with such a different um, roster from year to year in New England at times, too, and keep the team going when you lose guys like Gronk or or Edelman for a spell, uh, that he just is a very resilient, um, driven athlete. And so that part of it does not go away. And I think, if anything, he's going to galvanize uh, the Bucks locker room, um, who probably couldn't be more excited and thrilled about the chance to play with him. The flip side, and the reason I think your doubt um, is completely valid, and that I, again, just I'm kind of done with like anointing teams in the offseason based on a move just like this, where yeah. there's too many historical memories of Brett Favre in 2009 um, having one of the best seasons he's had and then falling off a cliff entirely uh, eight, nine months later. And then Peyton Manning. Winning the Super Bowl, where you know, looking like if he didn't have his the, the name on the back of his jersey, a nobody. I mean, that just it, he, when he was such a phenomenal player just a, a calendar year before. So, the fall off typically with quarterbacks is really quick. Brady has always been the the outlier on that, and uh, you know, that's that's. I, I think there's a lot of questions about assuming he's just going to go in and kind of roll out a 12 and four campaign. But I kind of like the fact that their defense is strong too, that I don't think he's got to go out and um, put together like 40 to 28 type track meet games, but we'll see. I think, I think you're right to hold an eye of suspicion towards it. Yeah. Mark, as a writer, do these kind of things really excite you? You know, taking on different narratives. You know, you've got Philip Rivers leaving after a long time, suddenly in Indianapolis in win now mode. You know, Tampa Bay are in win-now mode. Are these the narratives that you, that you like to see just refreshed each year? I really like I like the transition that we're all going to experience as fans going into next season. And it's obviously it's just this incredible quarterback um, kind of put everyone in a blender and they all landed somewhere else. I love that. I think that it's fresh. I mean, I, you know, I got to the point where I just like, I don't need to read another article or be asked to even potentially even come up with an article about like Manning versus Peyton or, or Manning versus Brady, you know, part 28 and like their top 10 matchups. It's like when these rivalries have been around for so long, I, I do find them they can get a little bit stale. Um, it's a little bit more challenging to, uh, you know, the league, I think, like goes through a lot of um, kind of a biorhythm where like a lot of change suddenly will happen. And that's the part we're in right now. And I think that you mix in the fact that over the last three or four years, all these young quarterbacks have come into the league and they're so different from the quarterbacks that we uh, would think of from 10, 15 years ago. And then you've got these like big name veterans switching franchises. It's the, even though, you know, we may not get any off season at all. If the season goes on as planned, it is set up for one of the more intriguing seasons I can ever remember. So that, yeah, from a writing angle, from a content creation angle, there's just some fresh things to talk about, which I, 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 I enjoy because I can start to get a little burnt out on tired storylines. Which of the teams out of free agency for 
both the right reasons and the wrong reasons gives you the 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 startings of a, a great story you know obviously like you said before it's far too early to decide who's going to rank where in the season but out of free agency what are the teams that you're like oh i'm really interested to see how this pans out obviously brady's one of them but is there anyone else that comes to mind for both the positive and the negative well you know i think i'll i'll, I'll keep this one short um uh, the first team because it's i do think that the cleveland browns like had a really weird coaching um, team environment last year and had another really solid offseason uh, free agency period so far where they addressed some of their issues from last year. And I think that their their front office was aggressive um, as planned. Their coaching staff um, has preached like drill down detailed approach for every player on the roster, which was just totally missing last year. So I I am quietly optimistic about um, what that could produce. I, I would on the on two sides of a coin, I think Arizona Cardinals fans should be super excited that you they needed to find wide receiver help. For that offense to function, it's a four-wide receiver offense. To have DeAndre Hopkins come in at the low cost while able to dump, you know, David Johnson, who they wanted to get rid of, I mean, based on the cost alone. And then on the flip side, so I'd be very excited if I was a Cardinals fan about what could be down the road. You know, that's that team, that roster's incomplete too, but that NFC West is pretty wild. And if I'm a Texans fan, I think it's, you know, this is not, this is, I'm not, you know, screaming from the wilderness on this one. I think that you'd be re- really concerned just about how, like, Bill O'Brien um, is able to get along with star players and get along with certain other people in that organization. I still also think that he's a really good coach. I, I, I think he's like a top 10 um, game day coach and has a lot to offer. And that's why he's won some of these power, uh, you know, battles in the past. But, you know, you gave away DeAndre Hopkins for very little. And, and that just is concerning because you could have, like, if you want to move on a star player, we see it all the time, get value back. Look at what the Bills um, gave up for Stefan Diggs. And I, I think Vikings fans see all these players going, but you got value back for Stefan Diggs. And I just don't see that from what, ha- what what happened in Houston. I think it was a very destabilizing move that you're going to still have to explain to the entire locker room. Yeah, unless David Johnson came with a bag of magic beans, I think they're done. Um, it's just <laughs> just an utterly b- bizarre trade. But it, the good thing about in this league is that, you know, there is constant change, there's movement, which obviously appeals as a writer. I'm, I'm interested in asking you this, Mark. When, when you see a team announce a new head coach, and, you know, Cleveland have done a lot of that in recent times, that we, we could name other teams. What do you look for? Because we're always told that this is the greatest appointment in the history of football, and, you know, the bells and whistles come out and they tell you how great. What... What do you look for when a team appoints a new head coach, or, or where do the alarm bells start to ring for you? I think one good example is like Matt Rule in Carolina, where all these people came out of the woodwork um, from various levels and places that he's been before just to talk about the leader he is, the guy he is, like how he's able to work with players, and the fact that like David Tepper, the Panthers owner, came right in and was like, this is my guy. Um, they both won each other over in a long uh, meeting over the course of a day, and like basically that that was done. That deal was done by the end of by the end of their meeting. And to me, that says there's a lot of like shared vision and buy-in. And I like the setup for him if he and the owner are on the same page. And I get the Cam Newton thing um, 
did, didn't play well at all. And, you know, the, that was a misstep in terms of how it was handled and um, suggesting a trade had been granted, like, you know, permission to seek a trade had been granted when it really hadn't, according to Cam. That's messy. But the rest of what the Panthers will do over the next couple of years, I think, will be positive. I'd be really concerned about... um. I don't like with all the coaches, n- none of them right away, uh, unless they have a, a, honestly like a terrible press conference where it's like that becomes the storyline. And, th- you know, that happened a little bit with Adam Gase, uh, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, things like that where it's like, oh, you've already lost like your edge um, in terms of perception. Um, but that has nothing to do with Adam Ga- who Adam Gase really is. I-, I think in general, like a lot of struggling teams that don't have a good quarterback situation, I'm just worried about those coaches because. You know, you go back and look through on, like, say, Pro Football Reference and the amount of time that coaches would hang around bad teams back in the 70s, uh, 80s, they'd be there for seven or eight years. And it's like, okay, they have a real chance to, you know, build the team they want to build. And there's just less uh, trigger figure, finger action back then. And now it's like if you, if you, there's all these coaches that are fired after one season. And so anyone that walks into a situation where you don't really have, um, the right kind of makeup on your roster and you might think you want three or four years to build something that's when the owner matters that's when you have to be in line with your front office and uh i i one other positive like brandon bean and sean mcdermott in buffalo the fact that they've been in lockstep the entire way that's why the bills are a different team i think there's there's only seven or eight teams like that in the nfl where the front office and coaching staff are just absolutely um share a vision i think that's so important and the, the Bills actually a, a good example of a team now, even more so that Brady's come out of that division, that's going to be a really interesting year for them. Now that they've had that consistency, they've brought in Diggs, which is an exciting new weapon for them. Uh, another year's progression under Allen, hopefully, and the, there's a chance that they could be uh, you know, division winners this year. And who would have thought that, say, a couple of years ago? Yeah, I think they, and, you know, and, and last year they went in and... Uh, it, like they handled a bunch of good teams on their own last year. So it's like, it's not, you know, just cause Brady's gone, but the whole dynamic in new England is so different that uh, right now, standing here right now today, I'd say the bills are the, the best looking team in that division. Um, but you know, Belichick is Belichick. And it's like, I, I, I don't feel the need to hot take the AFC East personally yet. Cause I just want to see what happens with New England, there's another shoe to drop here, quarterback-wise. Um, but just in general, I think like Belichick probably quietly is in love with the idea that like people are counting New England out, in love with it. I think it's interesting that Bill Belichick will see this as a great year because I don't think he thinks he can lose either. You know, they go for a very average six and ten, seven and nine, or he becomes a genius because he finds a way to win uh, without having somebody like Tom Brady. At the back, Mark. One of the things I was going to ask you is, I mean, obviously compared to you know soccer over here, people don't understand the fact that there's a set number of teams in the NFL and and you can't get relegated. There isn't that pressure, whereas you can get relegated from the various leagues here. But there still is almost an insane amount of coaching turnover. I just I think that there's uh, you know one one of the elements that happens there is when a lot of copycat. Uh, activity where when one owner sees the Rams under Jeff Fisher uh, flatline year after year and they stuck with him for a really long time they were they were patient with Jeff Fisher and the results never really changed they seem to get worse and they bring in um, Sean McVay and and what happened happened so quickly that 
you know, there are five or six other teams thinking, I don't want um, this sort of aging B minus guy coaching my team. I want the next young, um, hot offensive mind that I can, you know, market ticket buyers around and everything else around. So there is a lot of that happening, like the new type of coach everyone wants to grab. And it's like, grab him now and dump the guy you have. And there's other more patient teams that kind of sort of stick through might be a bad year. I think, of you know, John Harbaugh in Baltimore, they had a couple trying years. And there were whispers, you know, of, oh, is John Harbaugh maybe in trouble in Baltimore? And then you get the right players back in and you get Lamar Jackson. And John Harbaugh is the kind of coach that says, I'm going to totally support this guy. We're going to build the whole offense and team around this guy's unique sp- skill set. And look what happens. So it's like I, I, I it's just a terrible time, I think, to um, be a head coach and presume any job security unless you're in that group of five or six guys that seem to really their owners really really understand uh how to run a successful nfl team so we are obviously as we talked about at the top a scottish based nfl podcast um and actually just before i get onto this paul i had a quick look there if david johnson has brought magic beans they're not listed on the nfl substance abuse policy so texans will be fine <laughs> with those absolutely fine there you go but perfect bringing it back to the scottish slant we have to speak to you about the scottish hammer jamie gillen now we were lucky enough to to pick up on jamie's story um about february last year i think it was when we first sort of heard his name and up until that point, didn't really know much about him, to be honest. But in the run-up to the draft, his name got mentioned more and more and more um, to the point where there was a bit of hype around him and we were we spoke to him and he was very humble, very much a case of, you know, he's just going to see what happens. If he gets an opportunity, he's going to do everything he can. He's working hard. To suddenly, you know, there was chat that the, the Browns had picked him up. They were going to run with him through the summer. And then he won the job. And I, I was lucky enough to be out in Cleveland for the BBC Um to, to interview him in the locker room the day before he found out that he'd actually made it onto the team. And he's he's done really well. But what's the perception been to a Browns fan? I think it's it's a great story, number one. And if, across the NFL, um, we're going to get more and more of these stories. It's already been dotted with people from the UK. And to have Gillen come in and succeed the way he did right out of right out of the gate... I think it tells you that not everyone's like backstory needs to be the same, which, uh, you know, we're more open to that than than ever before as fans. Right. And like if fans of baseball, fans of of the NBA are used to players from outside of America coming in and making major contributions. That's been the case for a long time. It just foot NFL football has been extremely um, U.S. centric and simply probably because of, you know, developmental programs not existing in the past. But now they do. Um, having been through um, Italy and Germany on a trip I went on, we went and visited a bunch of youth football teams. And it was like these guys had um, awesome questions. They were plugged in. They cared. And like it was um, a sport they were very interested in continuing for a while. So I think it's super. It's a great story. Um, and from a Cleveland angle, I'll take anyone I'll take, you know, an offensive lineman from Easter Island if he could come in and uh, keep <laughs> Baker Mayfield safe. I think, like, it's, it's even kind of cool because he's your guy if you're a Browns fan. It's like he, this story is something we can rally around if you're from Cleveland. And he came in and, like, you know, he wasn't just handed the job. He came in and, like, won a camp battle and I, I thought has been, was one of the more consistent special teamers in the AFC last year. And, you know, Cleveland needed a good punter for parts of last season, too. I'd, I'd like to see him, uh, you know, I think he had 63 punts looking at this. Like, uh, how about 33? And they scored 25 more touchdowns. I wouldn't mind that. But uh, <laughs> when he's out there, 
continue to perform. And, and that is the other thing is everyone that's talked to him just says he seems like um like a great dude. And so I, I good find for the Browns. And it's like that the front office that found him no longer there. But uh, I hope the current one sees the value. Yeah. No, so a simple. Sim- yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Cameron. Simple question for you, Mark Baker Mayfield. Yes or no? Yes, because I really do think that uh, this is like as with Sam Darnold this year three is so critical. And I, I think the coaching staff uh, on offense just was not did not put their players in a good position last year. And I, I couldn't have been probably a worse situation for a second year quarterback um, with some shaky offensive line action in front of him, a ton of pressure on the team in general, a lot of new veterans and a coach in Freddie kitchens, by all accounts, a guy you definitely want to go have a beer with a good dude, but uh, not it, not up to the task in terms of the narratives you heard after about game planning, being there for about two or three drives and then everything kind of washing away and the rest of the game being really essentially um, not tactically up there for the Browns. And you could just see that from game to game. They build leads and blow them. And other games just seem completely mentally in a fog. And Baker also, it's not all on everyone else. Baker, uh, went to, he, he, he definitely in certain games tried to do way too much. Um, total trial by fire, trying to read defenses. And I, you know, I, I would do some little Cleveland radio things during the year. They say, what's wrong with Baker Mayfield? And it's like, honestly, like, from my eyes and like I'm more of like coming from a writing um, loving football history loving football in general but I'm not a, necessarily a the a, a one scout on things there were some games like I just cannot tell what's wrong with the guy he just seems off and I just think that year three under a more focused coaching staff um, will help a lot so no way would I rule him out because from a physical skill set angle I still think he can do with his arm incredible things and when he catches fire He's a pretty special quarterback from what we saw during his rookie year. Yeah, indeed. And the next thing that we've got coming up is the draft. Before we get into the detail of the players that we like and things like that and mock drafts and all that sort of stuff that goes with it, this is going to be an unusual draft this year for a number of reasons. Gone is the sort of pomp and all the bravado around Las Vegas and all the noise and spectacle that we were going to have. And now we're doing it via Zoom or Skype or whatever channel we managed to get it on. It's going to be an unusual draft. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be extremely unlike anything we've ever seen. Uh, I mean, part of me, I do trust that every uh, every one of these 32 teams um, is working hard with like their IT people to get general managers and scouts and everyone set up at home. And so I. I do think there's more of an opening for maybe little moments of chaos or or a, or a blip on the radar to happen in terms of a missed pick or something, uh, certainly more than in the past. But I also feel like there's a huge chunk of companies that operate this way. That's it, it, If this were happening in 19... 19- you know, 92, and it was like dial-up modems and like people having to get on conference calls and stuff, I'd be more concerned. I just think this is more of a norm than it's being made out to be. That said, I mean, it's just atypical of the culture, of the war room, of people being able to talk at ease together. Uh, But we're doing it right now. And it's like, if we can do this, can't like a top-notch IT staff come in and get like five or six people together in a chat room? That said, during our show, we've had people, um, you know, on our podcast pop in and out occasionally because of tech stuff. So I, I just don't know. I think that the, the the time element of each pick having, you know, 10 minutes attached to it, that's where the drama comes in. Because if you have an issue, um, you, it, it could be exposed. I, I Kind of no panic other than that, though, at this point. I think it's it'll be kind of fun to see how it unfolds. 
I wonder who the first just, front office member is going to be blamed or fingered for picking the wrong player when the general manager drops off his call because his internet connection's gone awry. Yeah. Uh, I look forward yeah, to all of that narrative. There some, <laughs> yeah, there definitely could be some some interesting stories that come out of it where you know there's finger pointing. Or I think the bigger thing is, I I don't think missing pro days is necessarily a negative. Um, impact overall i mean i'd have to talk to scouts and stuff they're still able to talk with players one-on-one but it may be there may be some finger pointing if if someone's taken in round three and he winds up being a total head case it's like hey we didn't get the chance to really um, meet him the way that we would have wanted to he couldn't come to our facility it was like a 15 minute talk on a video chat that's not the same thing but the I think it'd be it was a lot worse a couple of weeks ago when it looked like if you're in California or New York you can't go to the facility but other state people teams in other states were were able to do that under state law and what's going on with COVID so the idea that they leveled the playing field at least puts all 32 teams into the same dilemma. Yeah, I felt. Like- that was probably the right thing to do. I know the Saints were planning to, I think, meet at the Dixie Brewery facility so that they could draft from there. So I'm kind of sad that they're not getting the chance to do that. Interesting, that mental side, Mark, that the face-to-face, actually having somebody in a room or walking around a facility, even just going into the cafeteria to get coffee, you can get such a different vibe from that person. And I wonder if this is going to lead people to be slightly more conservative with anybody that's had a little bit of a blemish on their record. I think that's fair. I mean, there's that anecdote out there of uh, when Deshaun Watson visited with the Texans. He went into the lunchroom and, you know, just sat down and like players were coming up to him. All these players were fascinated to meet him. And he was holding court with all these NFL veterans. And it kind of turned the heads of the people inside the building saying, this guy's this guy's kind of what we want at quarterback. He's got these got that thing that you can't really identify and put a label on sometimes. And would that have happened over a video chat with like, you know, three scouts and a, and a head coach? No. Can I ask you one one final question? Because I know we're running out of time, but we did genuinely appreciate you joining us. Can I switch to broadcasting? Because we always like to talk a little bit about broadcasting on the NFL Scotland podcast. And I know you guys have been talking about uh, the property that is Monday Night Football. Can I offer a little solution for Monday Night Football for you? Sure, I'm open to one. <laughs> what, why don't Why don't ESPN simply just go and pick up somebody like? Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts, a safe pair of hands, good broadcasters, and just get them get them in. Or go for someone like Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner, you know, tried and tested pair. Do you think ESPN are just always trying to do something different rather than just go and play safe, get a couple of really excellent broadcasters that people already like? Kevin Harlan would be uh, a huge coup. I think that would be amazing. I mean, a lot of these guys, the problem is you're under contract um, with your current networks, and there's a lot of don't take our guy kind of stuff going on there. Um, I, I've always felt like Kevin Harlan could do literally anything and probably be at the complete top of his field. I, I think that the from a Monday night football um, historical angle, and you look what it's always been, it's always, um, and it's kind of lost some of its shine. Uh, it, but in, in days past when there weren't um, primetime games all the time and Thursday night and all this other business. Monday Night Football was a party and it was a special event. And, you know, announcing and kind of telling the story of that special event were players and people that, you know, if you were a longtime fan, you've been following for 20, 30 years. And I think that that's 
probably um, pretty dyed into the culture of what they want Monday Night Football to be is go get, we're hearing Drew Brees, go try to get Tony Romo, try to get Peyton Manning, because it's must, if, if Peyton Manning is suddenly watching, announcing Monday Night Football, at least for that full first season, I got to ever watch every one of those games just to see how he does. But it's an interesting time we're in because back in 1986, you know, an announcer might blow a call or something, but no one's no one's going to viciously attack that person. Now, uh, if these announcing teams go a little sideways, I mean, they're just eviscerated on Twitter. And so you have to go find the right people and they have to almost be successful right off the bat. Where if you talk to certain people, they'll say, if we can get this announcing team together and have them do Sundays, um, you know, lower level Sunday games for two or three years and they really shine and we move them up. I mean, that's sort of how like guys like Aikman and stuff and, and Chris Collinsworth didn't always do primetime games. They had a chance to kind of grow and learn what it's a very different job than being a quarterback. Sorry, it's a long answer, but I just think that they're married to having a star, having a lot of star power come in and blow away ratings. It comes down to money and, uh, you know, name recogn- re- big name recognizability. So to sum up then, the advice for ESPN on Monday Night Football is do like the Buccaneers. It's new, but it's familiar. And I think that exactly. probably brings our conversation <laughs> around perfectly. Listen, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the NFL Scotland podcast. It's been brilliant speaking to you. Uh, we look forward and hope you can, you guys can all make it back over to the UK again this year. And do come up to Scotland. We've got a couple of bottles of whiskey with you guys' names on it. Um, and I know that Erica's a big whiskey fan, so there's one there for her too. Uh, we'd love yeah, to see you guys Yeah, I think everyone would be... Yeah, everyone would be fully bought in on that. And, like, uh, we'd love to come back. That's obviously, like, super up in the air right now. But there was another time when we were in talks to maybe do some sort of a bus voyage where we would have hit your town and a few other places. And I'm not sure um, if or when that will come back. But we were we'd, we would go back in a second. Uh, with, it's been great every time we've gone. So I hope that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you, Mark. It's been great speaking to you. So, Paul, absolutely brilliant to hear from Mark there. And I think we've covered all the latest news as well. So, a really good chat. I was tremendous, wasn't it? It's, it's just great. It, it's very strange when you interact with somebody that you've listened to for so long. Um, and I just, I mean, I could have chatted, and I think you're the same, could have chatted to Mark for another hour quite happily. We're, we're delighted that he gave us uh, so much of his time, but really, really enjoyed that chat. And if nothing else, he now knows what Bowfin and Bobag means. Yeah, I'll, I'll be listening closely to see if he can get any of those words in. I, I thought he was brilliantly hesitant. To, I mean, anybody says the word boofing to you. Be, I mean, I, imagine spelling it as if that was going to make a difference. It just is so colloquial <laughs> from our point of view. Um, although, to be fair, in the in one of the podcasts last week, they did manage to mention uh, ba- Bailey Wick or Ballywick, which I always imagine is a yield English word. So... You can never tell. You can never tell. But no, absolutely brilliant. And listen, we hope all of you guys listening enjoyed that one as well. We've been trying to get Mark on for a while. We're delighted to be able to have done so and absolutely brilliant. But that's a full-time whistle then for episode 94. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Continue to share your thoughts on this episode via Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We're growing all the time, but need your help to keep that up. We appreciate every retweet and every share. Please keep doing so. And if you've got time, and let's be honest, who doesn't? Please leave us a review on iTunes. We've got another podcast landing in time for the weekend as we start to focus on the draft. Please keep your talking point suggestions coming, though. We've actually got a really interesting one lined up for next week. 
We've got more interviews lined up, so as soon as we've done them, you'll get them. We will share them with you. Again, a big thanks to Mark Sessler for joining us. Thank you to you for listening and taking the time to share your thoughts. We'll be back later in the week. Until then, stay safe and bye for now.